0: Welcome to Detroit today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. We want to talk about education today, and we talk about it in two different contexts. We're going to start by talking about State Attorney General Dana Nessel and her decision to support a lawsuit to support. Detroit kids in their efforts to sue the state uh, over what they say is an inadequate level of education that is defined by lack of literacy here in the city of Detroit. We're going to talk about why she decided to support that lawsuit and the difference between her position on this issue and the position of Governor Gretchen Whitmer. And then later in the program, we're going to talk about Benton Harbor, the city on the far west side of Michigan that is really struggling to support its schools. Governor Whitmer says that one solution she would like them to embrace is to close the only high school in that district, uh, a decision that has brought a lot of protest from people in that district. Uh, Many people say that that majority black district would then send its children to majority white districts where they would not be terribly welcome and then they would not get uh, ad- adequate educations there. So you want to stay tuned to that conversation. It'll get started at about half past the hour. But first, are we all guaranteed a right to literacy under the U.S. Constitution? Students in Detroit say they are, and they say they are being denied that right because of the deplorable conditions in their schools. The ACLU has filed an historic lawsuit on their behalf that's now in front of the U.S. Court of Appeals. And recently, Michigan's attorney general filed a 45-page brief that supports the students' position. Governor Gretchen Whitmer, meanwhile, says the case should be dismissed because the school district is no longer under state's control and therefore the state should not be the target of the lawsuit. Whitmer also says that her administration plans to fix many of the problems that exist in Detroit schools and other schools, and that that is the way to pursue those changes. That's where we want to begin the conversation today with the attorney general's decision to take the side of Detroit kids in this lawsuit. And joining us now to talk more about that is Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Dana, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Good morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. So talk about why you decided to file this legal brief supporting Detroit students' position in the lawsuit.
1: Well, you know, it's it's long been troubling to me, the fact that we don't have any guarantees uh, to even a minimally adequate education for, uh, for students, and not just in this state, but around the nation. And what has always baffled me is the fact that We do have compulsory education in this state and, in fact, in all 50 states in the nation. And so we we make kids go to school. We force them. We actually can criminally prosecute their parents if they don't send their children to school for some 180 days a year, six hours a day. But once they get there, there, there is nothing to ensure that they have qualified teachers or instructional materials or even a safe environment to go to school. Um, And so, you know, we're forcing children to go to school, but once they get there, we're not providing them with the tools they need to be able to have even a minimal uh, level of success in life. Um, And that has always been uh, bizarre to me. And uh, I I truly believe in the the parents' patriae uh, principle, as it applies to my office and my job. And that's the principle that government carries a responsibility for protecting all its citizens. Hmm. Uh, And that's why I felt so compelled to uh, write an amicus brief on behalf of the Detroit school children who filed this case.
0: So so let's talk about the law here. what is it about the Fourteenth Amendment, which is the constitutional provision that's invoked by the lawsuit, that you say establishes a right to literacy or a right to minimally adequate education? Uh, as I read the Fourteenth Amendment, it does talk about, of course, equal protection and its equal protection uh, clause that that is invoked here, but it doesn't say anything about literacy. It doesn't say anything about education. And if I were a textualist, uh, somebody who reads the Constitution uh, based on just the words that are in it, I would have a hard time coming up with the justification for this lawsuit. Tell me why you don't have that kind of trouble with that.
1: Well, Stephen, you'll notice it also doesn't say anything about same-sex marriage. Uh, and yet That's I'm very true. familiar with a case that
0: went to the United <laughs> States familiar, Supreme Court right?
1: <laughs> in uh, 2015. You know, that was the Obergefell v. Hodges case, or as I like to still refer to it, DeBoer v. Snyder.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and obviously that uh, that encapsulated um, the Michigan case that I was involved in. And um, in that case, you know, what the analysis was in the finding um, that marriage was a fundamental right, and that included um, same-sex marriage as, as well as opposite-sex marriage. Um, you know, Justice Kennedy wrote that judges have an ongoing duty to identify and protect new fundamental rights and should do so whenever reasoned judgment suggests that it's appropriate to do so. Um, and, you know, there is the longstanding doctrine that judges can recognize constitutional rights if they are deeply rooted in our history and our tradition, and really are implicit in the concept of ordered liberty. Um, and that is exactly how I see uh, these minimal standards of, uh, of education that we ought to be providing to our children around the country. Um, and of course, in this case, it applies to Detroit school children, but this wouldn't just apply to children in the city of Detroit, it would be applicable to all children. And um, to me, it's just an absolute fundamental tenet of our democratic system, if you if you don't teach children how to read, and you're not required to teach them how to read, how can they ever be a, a full participant in 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 our democracy? I mean, how can they even vote if they literally cannot read the language that appears on their ballot? They can't. Yeah.
0: So so I, I wonder if you can point to other instances in which the federal courts or the U.S. Supreme Court have uh, ruled in the way that you're asking them to rule about an education issue. In other words, this idea that uh maybe literacy is not in the constitution maybe education is not even uh, mentioned in in the constitution but that these connect to fundamental rights that we have can you can you draw a parallel to uh, another issue in education uh, which i think is very different than marriage for instance uh, or or some of the other things that the 14th amendment protects uh, is there is there a is there a line you can draw here that that would help even our listeners, uh, understand better where you feel like this right comes from?
1: Well, you know, the, the, the thing is, over the course
0: of, of our nation's history, there have
1: been um, so many different instances where the courts have um, opined and have rendered um, opinions as, as it pertains to various different elements of education. And that's why, for instance, uh, compulsory education was upheld in the first place, Um, and and all of these laws that I spoke of that require you to send your child to school and to receive an education. Um, But, you know, there are other places, of course, where the courts have ruled, and there have been pertinent elements, right, as it pertains to to our education. You remember, of course, um, one of the most important decisions in the history of our country, Brown v. Board of Education. Uh, where they talked very much about the fact that um, based on the level of education that um, children deserved, uh, you could not segregate the schools. And you know that in in part, I think, actually is very relevant to what um what our amicus brief says in this case, because I do believe that uh, you know race plays a very large part mm-hmm. in the reason why. Uh, the Detroit public school system has had many of the issues that it's had and, and why the uh, emergency manager law was applied disparately to not just poor, but poor uh, school districts where you had predominantly uh, children of color. And so I think race plays um, an enormous factor in that. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that it was, uh, you know, that we're talking about Detroit. I, I don't know that this would have ever occurred. And I don't know that uh, the school system would have ever been permitted to lapse into the uh, the kind of place that it became under the emergency manager had this occurred, of course, in a wealthier school district um, where local taxes could be utilized to um, make up some of the issues. Uh, and that generates, obviously, great differences between wealthy and impoverished communities. And I would argue not just that, but between uh, white communities and communities of color.
0: Uh, so, you also, here, stand a little bit opposite, and it's not directly opposite, we should make that clear, uh, from the position of Governor Gretchen Whitmer, uh, but it sounds like her objection to the lawsuit is more about the state being the subject of, uh, of, of the suit. Uh, she, she believes that the state shouldn't be held responsible. She also says, though, that she's busy trying to fix some of these problems by reinvesting uh, in education. Talk about the difference in your two positions.
1: Well, first of all, let me say this. For me personally, as attorney general, my office, my department, uh, has an obligation uh, to represent state agencies and state actors. So the governor um, and the superintendent and the board of education and so forth. Um, and they are well represented by my office. And I obviously, you know, I can operate in a in a different capacity, as I explained, in terms of the um, parents' patriarch. Uh, doctrine. But that being the case, you know, the governor, and I I truly believe that Governor Whitmer, um, she is one of the strongest advocates for public education that I think we'll ever find in a governor. Uh, But the fact of the matter, she has different considerations than than I have. She has to worry about her budget. And I know that um, in her proposed budget, she has some extensive allocations and appropriations that were to be made uh, to the Detroit public schools. And she wants to do everything she can, I believe, to make up for lost time and and lost money and resources uh, that were not provided uh, to the Detroit public schools under the emergency manager and under the prior administration. Uh, That being the case, she has to worry about how she's going to pay for all that. Uh, And, you know, I understand uh, that consideration. It's important. And I think she wants to just take... Uh, The situation as it is now, understanding that the district is no longer under emergency manager rule and move forward and provide as much in the way of resources as you can to try to make up for what happened. But I'm just in a different situation here where there has been, of course, um, the argument made by plaintiff's counsel regarding uh, the notion that a minimal standard of education is a fundamental right and... I subscribe to that concept, and I believe in that concept, and I just because I happen to also run an office that represents the governor doesn't mean that I can't come to a different assessment as it pertains to that particular legal argument. Mm.
0: Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. She is joining us to talk about her decision to support Detroit children in a lawsuit that has been filed on their behalf that says the low literacy rates in the city and the other deplorable conditions are violations of their constitutional rights under the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. We're talking about why she made that decision and what she expects to come from that lawsuit. If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Let's start with uh, Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Good morning, Stephen. Hey. Uh, since the Financial Review Commission, which was set up under the emergency management law, is still in control and has oversight over Detroit public schools, uh, and, and the voters rejected the emergency management law, and that body exists in violation of the grand bargain, why doesn't the uh, state attorney general
0: merely dissolve that body since its existence is illegal. You're talking about the, the, over the Financial Review Commission? Correct. Uh, that's an interesting question, Gene. Uh, uh, I, I'm not sure not sure all of those things track that you just sort of invoked there, but, but let's get the Attorney General to, to address it. Th- this oversight that the state maintains uh, over school districts uh, that were in emergency management like Detroit, uh, is that also a violation uh, of the law?
1: Well, you know, that's not something that's been brought to my attention or has been brought to the attention of my office. Um, obviously, you know, I personally, I, I, uh, I've I opposed the emergency manager law and I, I think it's had, I, I think look no further than the case that uh, we're discussing right now. And certainly, of course, I think the worst example that you can possibly think of um, involves Flint and the situation there. So I know that, um, You know, obviously, the voters of the state not once but twice rejected the emergency manager law. Um, I do in my personal capacity, and I believe that the governor does as well. Um, And I don't think we're going to see it applied anywhere uh, during the course of at least her term in office. Um, But I'm not familiar with the, um, the commission that you brought up in terms of there being any Violations of the law, yeah. certainly any constitutional violations.
0: Yeah. Uh, again, Jean, thanks very much for the call uh, and the questions. Let's go to Michelle in Detroit. Michelle, welcome to Detroit yeah, hi. today. Yeah, go ahead. Hi, thanks for
1: taking my call. Uh-huh. You answered my question about the uh, role of the AG's office representing the governor, um, but I, I had a couple other questions. Um, did the governor ask for your legal advice before she made her statement? Um, and are there Any discussions to settle this case in a way that would benefit uh, Detroit students and families? Mm -hmm. That's my question. Michelle,
0: great questions. Thanks very much for the call. Uh, Dana, go ahead.
1: Well, I can't reveal the nature of our conversations because there's still an attorney-client privilege relationship there. But I will tell you that, um, you know, certainly I was aware of what the governor's position was going to be, and she was aware of mine, so that wasn't a surprise to either of us, and, you know, we've certainly had lengthy discussions about this case uh, on multiple occasions, um, and, um, you know, there have been efforts that have been made to settle this case, and an interest in that. There's, there's no question about that. Uh, I think for the governor and for the state, again, you really have to look at, at finances, and I think it's important that people understand this. Um, because I I think there's not a lot of um, understanding uh, about how the system works exactly. For any major settlement to occur, it's not just a matter of my office recommending it. It's not just a matter of our client agencies or the governor um, accepting that and wanting to settle. When you have anything that is a large uh, settlement it has to be appropriated from the legislature, right. which means the legislature has to specifically approve of it. So we're really talking about, um, you know, Mike Shirkey, our, our Senate Majority Leader, and Lee Chatfield, our um, Speaker of the House. They have to be on board, and they have to want to um, be able to come up with what be, you know what will certainly be um, a large amount of money uh, that is going to be go you know be directed towards the Detroit public schools. Uh, and the, and you know these particular plaintiffs in the case as well, in order to settle, and that's that's a tall order. Getting um, those individuals and in what is still a Republican legislature, both chambers um, are still held by the Republican Party in mm-hmm. terms of a majority, and you know it's complicated and it's difficult. And that doesn't. I'm not just talking about um, the this particular you know case. Uh, Gary B. Is, uh, is the name, Gary B. B. Whitmer at this point, used to be Gary B. B. versus uh, Snyder. But I'm also talking about the, the Flint uh, civil cases, of which there are dozens and dozens. I'm, I'm talking about um, the Unemployment Insurance Agency cases. I'm talking about um, some incredibly large cases that are pending involving um, the Michigan Department of Corrections and juveniles that um, were alleged to uh, have been sexually assaulted my office inherited several of the biggest cases that the state has ever had uh, from the previous administration. And those cases were also inherited, of course, by Governor Whitmer. Um, So neither of us caused these problems, but we have to clean up the mess now and getting a Republican legislature to get on board and come up with the hundreds of millions, even, you know, getting into the billions if you take all these cases in the aggregate – um, trying to get them to approve those kinds of finances and that kind of appropriation is a pretty tall order for a legislature that doesn't seem to want to, um, you know, work very hard to find the money to come up with uh, money to fix our roads. Sure.
0: So, so one thing I want to go back to, though, is this this question of how. Uh, you advise the governor, which is one of the roles of the Michigan Attorney General's office in, in representing her, right, uh, as a defendant in this case, and then also filing a brief on the side of the plaintiffs. I mean, this is something that comes up a lot here in Michigan because we, you know, we've got this independent Attorney General's uh, office that that uh, that not only represents the governor but also represents the people, but but sort of talk through that conflict. I mean, I think to anyone looking from the outside, it doesn't make sense that you are essentially uh, existing in some form on both sides of the case, the defendant and the plaintiff side.
1: Right. Well, in those cases, I mean, once it became clear, and remember, you know, these aren't cases, obviously, that were initiated um, under either uh, of our administrations. So once um, it became clear what the arguments were going to be in this case, um, and I indicated to the governor that I was choosing to take a different path, we built a conflict wall. So I didn't read any of the briefs um, that were generated uh, on behalf of the governor or the other state defendants in this lawsuit. And, in fact, my deputy solicitor general, Eric Westusia, was the one who – uh, was charged and tasked with the responsibility of um, of drafting these briefs and worked in conjunction with the attorneys um, in uh, other divisions of the office so that they could uh, ensure that the governor uh, and the other state agencies were properly represented. I, um, you know, put up this conflict wall. I went on another side of it. I had uh, really just about three attorneys that I worked with uh, to develop my arguments based on what I wanted to argue. Um, I did not read uh, the the brief that was submitted on behalf of the governor uh, until it was a public filing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I, I'm not involved at this juncture with those arguments, um, and I am not involved at this point in... Um, you know, the work that is being done on that side on of the conflict side. wall. Yeah. yeah, and this happens quite frequently. I think it's, it's a strange notion to people, but we're such a big office, and we're tasked with so many responsibilities. And, of course, now, as I've, I've talked about extensively, you know, I, I, we play these two different roles. We represent these state actors. We represent these state agencies. But in my personal capacity, uh, I have not just the ability, but I believe the obligation to be a voice on behalf of the people of the state.
0: Okay. Attorney General Dana Nessel, really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today.
1: Thanks for having me, Stephen.
0: Up next, uh, students, families, uh, and community members are fighting an education battle in another Michigan city right now. We're going to talk about the controversy that is surrounding the governor's plan to shut down Button Harbor High School. Also, come back tomorrow when we talk with former EPA officials about what's happening now to that agency and environmental protections all over America. Stay with us on Detroit Today.